Welcome back to another episode of the Female Footballers Podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Gray. This podcast will feature all topics related to the female soccer player from the perspective of the player, parent, and coach. This week, we're consuming the news in the female world and came across a story that we think people feel strongly about. Many people have differing and polarizing opinions about this player and her pathway. As an organization who promotes all different pathways to the top, we feel it's very relevant to discuss. Olivia Moultrie is a 15-year-old American soccer player who plays on the academy team for the Portland Thorns FC in the NWSL. In 2019, she became the youngest American woman soccer player to turn pro at age 13. However, the NWSL age limit prevents her from signing and play a playing contract or playing competitively with the Thorns until she reaches age 18. She was also the youngest player to commit to a college team at UNC and accept a scholarship offer at age 11. Obviously, she gave that up to pursue her professional career. Just to note, FIFA doesn't allow young players to play overseas as well. This week, Olivia filed an antitrust lawsuit against the NWSL, alleging that the league, as the only acquirer of talent in the market, violates the Sherman Antitrust Act with its age limit. The suit asked for immediate action from the court by granting a temporary restraining order against the age rule so that Moultrie can play in regular season games during the 2021 season. Just to clarify, we don't know specific details about this lawsuit, and we don't, do not personally know Olivia. We are going to discuss this topic and the topic of what age it is appropriate to go and play professionally. So without further ado, I am joined by Luis Arsenal, Haley Lucas, and Taylor Porter which is some of our staff members here at Female Footballers and all former or current professional players. So welcome, you guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. We are going to get right into it and kind of discuss um, the first topic that, you know, we recently put out there on our social media about this topic. And we had a lot of differences of opinions on um, a multitude of things regarding this story. The first thing that came up was about equality. Um, there was mentioned that in MLS, Major League Soccer for men, players, there is no age limit to when a player can join in the MLS. So that was the first thing that came up. And I would love to know your thoughts. How do you feel that NWSL has this age restriction and MLS does not? Anyone have some thoughts? Go for it. I can start. Um, I think when I heard about this lawsuit, that was the biggest thing for me that was just the difference in qualifies a player to play in the MLS versus the NWSL. Um, Whether or not an age restriction should be placed on the MLS is the issue of I think it needs to be equal, whatever that um, rule is going to be. And especially with other leagues, for example, the NBA, the NFL, MLB, there are restrictions on that. So it's kind of interesting that the MLS doesn't really have any type of restrictions at the moment than that um, other leagues have kind of provided stipulations. But that's the biggest thing that stands out to me is just the difference in what we're allowing female players in the domestic league to do versus male. Absolutely. Any other thoughts, Lou or Taylor, on the topic of kind of equality when it comes to this? In my opinion, I think that 
I have to piggyback um, with Haley in terms of like make it uniform across the board because what we're finding right now with the year of having equal pay, equal everything for women, um, and now having this big discrepancy in terms of age restriction for female and not male, I think it does create, um, you know, sort of like an age discrimination. And I think whatever the overall decision needs to be, I think it needs to be uniform because I can see where she's coming from in terms of that's frustrating because if she was a male at her age, she would be able to play. Right. So now what makes it right? What makes it wrong? So I think there's something that needs to be um, addressed within the system and how the U.S. kind of runs their um, their deci deciding factors as to who has a restriction and who does not. Absolutely. Um, well, I think what's interesting is that, I mean, I don't know if it's ever happened in the MLS. I don't know if there are 15 year olds, 16, 17 year olds playing in the MLS. Oh, yeah. Like that, I mean, this is kind of our first case for a 15 year old girl to come up and say, I actually want to do it. There really hasn't been anybody um, to kind of question that rule. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they approach it for if they're going to go along with the MLS rules or the same with any of the other sports rules. Cause again, they do have those regulated ages and especially here in Europe, I'm not hundred percent sure what the rules are for young kids, but there are younger girls who are 15, 16, 17 year, years old in um, at least second divisions or things like that. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. Yeah, I, I'm not certain on international play as well, but here in uh, America, the MLS players, many MLS players come in younger and younger every year. My husband played in the MLS for eight years. And even in his first two years, he started in the league in 2002 and had a, a teammate, I think it was 16 year old. His name was Craig Capano. And uh, since then, there had been many. He was in the era of when Freddie Adu had been like the youngest player to join MLS. And, um, you know, when these players are so young and they join, it kind of brings me to my next topic with this whole, I don't want to pivot if we're not ready, but I know Haley, you might have something on uh, international players because I think you play with some younger ones. Maybe before I pivot uh, to a different uh, kind of section on this topic, uh, do you have anything to add from France where you're at? There are definitely high schoolers that are consistently training with us and ones that are um, competing at the division one level. So it's, it's not super common, but in terms of how the system is set up, because there is no collegiate system in Europe, kids are funneled through a club system from the age of 10. So a lot of them start in a club academy situation and will eventually work their way up to the top team. So it's not unheard of for 15, 16 year olds to not only be training with the top team, just like Olivia is with the Thorns, but they'll be dressed for games. Um, kind of depends on uh, their skill level, of course, and kind of the impact that can make at that level. But it's definitely their age is not what's barred from being on the field. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that in most things soccer in America, we try to emulate other countries in how we play, um, how we function, you know, in, in the last 20 years, changing a lot of the structures of youth soccer to match the academy programs overseas. It's interesting that on the female side, this isn't something we've discussed, however it is on the male, whereas in, like you said, internationally, it's happening on both sides overseas so that is something to to which we'd we'd heard from some of our followers that that was uh, one of their biggest frustrations was this is not equal it needs to be um, you know the same across the board like you guys said um, any other thoughts on that 
Um, so going forward, the, the thing I was going to bring up, um, like, like I said, my husband played, there were many men that came in in their teens and early 20s. My husband being one of them, he actually left his collegiate program his third year at University of Portland to go pro. And they had a program through um, Nike called Project 40, where Nike paid for certain players to finish their college online and go pro, um, which my husband did. And, um, but since then, I'm not certain there are that many programs that allow for that anymore. But he came across a lot of players in their teens and 20s, him being, I think, 20 or 21 when he started. And um, it brings up the notion of like, what is our intention in the US with our soccer players? Is it to find the best talent at the youngest ages and funnel them through and get them playing? Or is it the opposite where we want players who we can develop to have a long career in the game? And I think a good example would be uh, being in the Bay Area, Christopher Wondolowski, who plays for the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, Wando started with my husband uh, on the Quakes in the early 2000s, and he's still playing currently. He scored two goals yesterday, I think, for the Quakes. And uh, He's, he's one of those players that he, he couldn't even sniff a starting position early on when he started his career in MLS, and yet now he's the leading scorer ever in, in MLS. So there's this longevity, this, this long career that's just getting better and better, and he's, you know, he's 39 years old. Whereas um, with Olivia, um, for those of you who don't know, Olivia um, at 11, drop, she didn't drop out of school. She changed her school setting to be having a full-time soccer world, having like a, um, a tutor kind of a situation. And she committed at age 11 to UNC, which is a whole other topic we'll get into as well. But um, this notion of, you know, is this what we want uh, going forward? Is this the intention? What do you guys think? Is this the intention we want going forward to produce the best at the youngest ages or to just fully develop and and have players with a, a long career. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Lou. Yeah, I just, I think that whatever we think, I think it needs to be uniform at the end of the day. Um, some of our thoughts are in the sense of, you know, developing, if, if the development piece is what we're aiming for to create the best players, then, you know, we need to have a system in place that promotes that if our, um, if the idea is to create longevity, now what does that look like in terms of system put in place? Because at the moment, the discrepancy in um, you know both male and female and the lack of clarity um, from you know the youth system through the pro pathway in, in terms of what we want to do as a, as a nation as a whole, I think creates these type of issues and problems, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Haley, you have some more on that? I'm just kind of echo a little bit um but also saying the fact that i don't think our system right now in the united states is necessarily developed fully enough to handle um the development system i think they're definitely trying to they're trying with kind of the transitions and youth leagues to more of an academy structure but um it may just be that in the specific situation of olivia the system isn't necessarily set up to particularly help her in the way that like a European system is. Um, and that doesn't mean we can't get there. One's, I don't think one is necessarily right or wrong. They're just two different systems, but it seems like our system is very set up of club, college, professional, and that's not necessarily the path she has taken. So it makes it a little bit more difficult in terms of 
trying to break those rules. And it'll be cool if she's able to um, kind of forge that new path as she already has, but it's not a system that's necessary support to the pros. Yeah, Taylor, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna add on to like, I think, like we mentioned, we don't really have that same development of a system kind of like Europe does. But I think right now, our development program is college. I think that is where most of the players that are in the NWSL right now play through college. And that's, I think, where so many players develop and improve so much like that's where they truly become that the player they are so I mean personally in my point of view that I think it's like really important to do that right now with the system we have um so I think that's just like the key component of being able to grow if we don't have that developmental program for younger girls to not go through the college pathway but I also think that's kind of something that's special in the United States that they don't have in Europe is that they don't have as good of like programs as they do here in the U.S. of like with our big NCAA tournaments and we have over 300 division one programs and so I think that's kind of like our development program at the moment I guess you would say for young girls. Yeah and like I think you said earlier Haley too with um, this is just it's very or maybe it was Lou just it's a bit of American idea of this college structure and how some people have a hard time pivoting away from that. Others are really thinking more in like the overseas world where it's like, why why can't we pivot? I'll tell you from a parent perspective, because I know I'm the only parent on this panel right now. Um, and, and having been an educator, um, there's value in college, not just from an academic perspective. And I think that's where my head goes as a parent is sure, college is an academic experience that I know I personally want for my children, but if my children didn't fit on that pathway, I'm not going to force them to do it. Um, but what you gain on the non-academic side of getting an education here in a collegiate uh, world is pretty valuable. And, and I guess when I think of this, having watched my husband again go through some of this on the MLS side, there were many men he played with who skipped that process. And I will tell you, they're all now in their late 30s, retiring or, or whatnot, and their opportunities are very limited. Um, you know, if this were a sport where people got paid millions of dollars here in America, it might be a different story. But here we don't get paid that kind of money even on the men's side. It's not, unless you are, you know, um, a designated player or something, you're not, you're not getting the big bucks. And so when your career is over, it is, uh, you know, talk about struggles with athletic identity when you're done and you retire. There's a lot of that going on on the MLS side, as I'm sure there is in every sport. But again, the financial piece, you know, you're really left with, oh my God, what do I do now? And I'll be curious, you know, we have two uh, players uh, with the women's national team that we can kind of reference between Lindsay Haran and Mallory Pugh, and they're having very different experiences having skipped the collegiate process. So I think that'll be interesting to watch and maybe they'll set a bit of precedence. Other thoughts on this before we pivot? I also think that kind of like you mentioned, the value in a college degree is important, but also the professional experience of playing collegiate athletics, especially at the D1 level, um, you're not going to get a more professional experience based on the resources they have, the expectations that are set for you. Going from club soccer to collegiate soccer, just from how much you need to grow up as an adult and increase your level of professionalism is huge. And it's so valuable 
some of my most important and impactful um, personal development and professional development happened in college, whether that be as a soccer player or extracurriculars or in the classroom. So I think it gives you that extra bit of adultness that you're not going to get necessarily if you skip that process. And the players that do go through kind of develop, of course, not all of them, but there is sometimes a lack of maturity because they haven't kind of had those real world experiences where they're necessarily on their own in that kind of same environment. So I do think that the collegiate value is also just allowing you to not only find yourself as a person, um, but be able to use those kind of independent skills that will serve you in your athletic professional career. Absolutely. Lou, you have anything on this? No, I think I just, I really agree with Haley. I think for me as well, I mean, I grew up in Canada and um, I mean, you know, the, the collegiate system here is not as big in terms of sports as it is in the U.S. So getting the opportunity to leave Canada and, and to go in an environment where I'm able to play the collegiate level in the U.S. Uh, created a big, big impact on my life in terms of, you know, A, being away from home, B, you know, learning about independence and, and you know, um, being held to a higher standard and all those things, kind of like what Haley touched upon. So I think that the the collegiate system does create a, a big pathway that helps young athletes grow in the sense that it, it, it makes them in a, in a way a little bit tougher to prep them for what's next. Um, and it gives them a taste of what the professional life may look like um, and, and gives them the tools to be able to cope with, you know, adversities and obstacles that happen in that, in that environment. So I definitely agree with Haley with that. Yeah. Taylor, any thoughts on that? Kind of already said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I just think obviously we can all agree that um, it was crucial for our development. I, if I went pro at 17 years old, before I went to college, I would have been done with my career by now. So I just think, again, you learn so many things, not just within soccer, but outside of it to build your character as a player. It just adds so much um, in your development overall that I think, I mean, for obviously for some people, it works out. Like we mentioned, like Lindsay Horan, um, who went and played in France and she's obviously with the women's national team now and she developed well, and she's a great player. And then some, but a lot of people actually go through the college route and that's what makes them the player who they are. Cause I mean, even we can, um, I know of Katarina personally, cause she played at my soccer club and I remember watching her and she was a great player. But, and I think she became even hundred times better being at Stanford and who knows if she didn't go to Stanford if she would be the player that she is now as a crucial player in Lyon so I just think it's obviously a player by player situation um, that I think bringing it back around to what um, NWSL is going to do on how they want to handle this is like it is very much kind of like a player by player situation possibly because it is very different um, depending on how a player can develop at that age. And I want to add a little bit about you, you dabbled Cassie about the, the degree and Haley too, about the degree, um, collegiate degree in the U S I mean, it is true that you do need almost nowadays to have a degree in order to be, to be able to have something else to fall back on it. And, and you bring a good point in terms of, you know, identity crisis, um, following, you know, the retirement of your career, because I have a lot of friends of mine that they're Olympians and, you know, they're 42, three, four, five, and now they're going back to school to get a degree because they're having a hard time finding something to, to supplement because those, you know, quote unquote, glory days are over, so to speak. So I do think that the college pathway in order for, especially in the US, and, and I would venture to say Canada as well, is important because of the degree that you're also acquiring and you have something to fall back on or to go back to it, to pivot from um, once your playing days are over. 
Well, and I also think, um, you know, when they, um, when men, let's say men forego their, their college experience and they play professionally and then they might end early, there are a lot more coaching and soccer world opportunities for men than there are women. And I know that that's a conversation that we have sometimes is, you know, there are opportunities for women to coach, but I would argue a little bit that the pay might be different. The, uh, the things that we have to deal with as female coaches in certain areas and at certain levels might be different from the men's game. And that, uh, th there might be different challenges having a woman not have a degree in coming out and trying to stay in the soccer world. You know, whether it's on, for example, again, sorry to reference my husband again, but when he stopped playing for the Quakes and he retired, you know, he had an, a, a great opportunity to commentate. So he commentated for the San Jose Earthquakes for two years um, and ended up actually winning an Emmy, which was kind of funny, but awesome. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know that there's that type of opportunity for women, you know, um, it's, there's not as many women commentators. There's not as many women owners and GMs. So many of the owners, GMs, technical directors that are in MLS today were my husband's former teammates. But on the women's side, I mean, we have one female GM in the NWSL. I mean, so that's something to think about as well. And I think also you can even like looking at all levels of it, like we talked about, you don't see women in men's sports, but you see tons of men in women's sports. Right. So like college soccer, for example, there are plenty of women's soccer coaches for women's programs, but there's still way more men for women's programs. And then all the men's programs are going to be mostly men. So, and that goes across all different positions, but yeah, it definitely is swayed in one direction, making those opportunities more. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess going forward, the one other thought that came up for me, and um, maybe again, because I'm a mom, but also having played uh, college soccer, um, you know, this idea, which doesn't have to do with the lawsuit currently, but that Olivia signed, I don't know that she signed, I shouldn't say it unless I really know for sure, but at 11 years old, committed to UNC um, to play. And um, I think that in itself is something that speaks to the culture of soccer here in America, um, that we are looking at fifth graders having been a fifth grade teacher that is mind boggling to me and having, and the fact that we are a part of an organization that talks about mental skills training through mentorship for female athletes, um, an 11 year old cognitively, socially, socially, emotionally, uh, that's baffling to me personally, that that is something that's occurring. And, and granted, I'm sure that's very uh, minimally hap happening here in America. But, you know, um, I think that's sort of where my mama bear comes out with this whole story, even with her at 15 going through this is even at 15, cognitively, socially, emotionally, this is a lot for a 15 year old to take on. And I know that she is incredible. I've watched a few different videos of it. She is incredibly passionate. She's an amazing soccer player, no doubt. Um, and she lives, eats and breathes it, which is awesome. Um, but just the long-term effects of the decisions you make at these ages and what you go through at this ages, it just worries me as a, as a mom, I guess, and a, a female who's gone through enough of stuff like that in the collegiate level. What do you guys think about that? Um, I mean, I kind of think of it as, so she, she, or, you know, committed to UNC at a young age, and now she's 
15 and wants to start her professional career. And I mean, going across to maybe another spectrum of professional career, you have to look at actors or singers who start a professional career at 15 and kind of how that affects them at that age, having to handle either, you know, all this responsibility at such a young age that an adult should have and ha can have a hard time to handle. Um, and you're asking that of a 15 year old. So I think that can kind of weigh a lot more that on her at that age that I think would be, I mean, that would have been very hard for me. I don't know how I would have managed that. All I thought about was school, and, you know, going to training. So I think that's something that can definitely also, I think has to be considered is like, is she actually ready for this? And she very well maybe, and she can again be starting something very new for 15 year olds across the country. But I think that's something they also have to approach on how this has affected even in other career paths of starting a professional career at this age and how that can affect them long-term. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. But I also think that a part of it is um, the desire, right? To, to want to, and mentally, I think that when you mentioned, um, um, actors from a young age, but you see these little people acting, they're, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old. And you're like, how, how, how is it possible? They're so mature, right? I think there needs to be a level of maturity. And I mean, I don't know her personally, but I'm assuming with her desire and, and um, physical attributes and qualities as a player that may create, you know, an environment for her, just kind of like what you mentioned, Taylor, that she is in those possession of position of those seven, eight year olds that are actors and able to bear somewhat um, some of the stressors that come with that. I think she needs to have like a, a big support group, I think as, you know, from her parents, from her friends um, in terms of, of helping her deal with that. But the, the first step I think to me is, is the desire and the willingness to, and I think, you know, for her, she would be a pioneer. She would be, you know, paving pathway for potentially people to come. And there's always need to be somebody that sets precedent um, in anything, right? We wouldn't be where we are today as females if, you know, it, it didn't come from, from the people that came before us too. So, um, you know, it's just something to think about and, and, and to consider, but you bring up a good point. I, didn't, I never really thought about that in terms of um, acting career and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a good point. Definitely. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback off what Lou said, making sure that she has the resources available to her, making sure we are going to allow these years um, to participate, that they have the resources, whether that's academically to kind of continue that path if they want to do that or mental health wise. I mean, Olympians start training at very young ages in these intense environments. And as we've seen with these documentaries, but Michael Phelps and other athletes, like mental health is a really big issue that wasn't necessarily addressed at a young age. And they're put in these very like a kind of a pressure cooker environment that's difficult for anyone to deal with, let alone athletes at a young age. So just making sure those resources are available. Um, kind of like you mentioned, Cassie, with the MLS program to help um, athletes continue their collegiate career and make sure that they're able to complete their schooling alongside. So as long as those kind of opportunities are available to these players, I think it's a great opportunity for them to play at the highest level because that's ultimately their goal. If, if Olivia is too good to play in college, she shouldn't have to be there. She should be pushing herself to be the best athlete hopefully that environment will allow her to create more of a holistic development kind of what we about in terms of the mind the body the sport but also outside of soccer. absolutely I think that's what I was going to say too is just there just needs to be resources in place and I think that's where the mama bear comes out for me is just to each their own we and and just to clarify for you listeners like we are not um 
saying there this is a good or a bad thing. We're just providing our thoughts. And I think that it needs to be known that we are supportive of Olivia Muldrie and we wish her nothing but the best. And she is quite a baller, but we do hope that the, um, the NWSL and other people around her are providing all the resources you know, capable. I know she has a Nike contract. I would hope, and who knows uh, the, the logistics of that, but like, I would hope that there is stuff within that, just like my husband got to benefit from, because that was, that was a huge reason why he chose to go pro when he did. And I think that, um, I think that as a parent, I know her dad is incredibly supportive. It's her coach. He, you know, her whole family has given up a big chunk of their life to move up to Portland to do this. And so um, I would assume their support goes in this, these directions as well. But yeah, mental health is where my head goes to, you know, there's ev so many documentaries, so many stories. I've been listening to different podcasts about just so many athletes who struggle with this within, after, and um, I just having known a lot of the MLS players who've gone through similar things at young ages, like, and knowing them now, it's hard. It's a life altering thing. And so I just hope that they, um, they have the resources for her. So any other thoughts? I don't really, I mean, there's so many, again, there's so many avenues we could go in with this. And, and I know there were so many polarizing thoughts on our, our uh, little poll we threw out there on social media, but any last thoughts on the whole concept of this? All right. Well, we will hopefully keep you posted on our social media as this um, lawsuit unfolds. And um, if you are a fan or not of the situation, we wish nothing but the best for Olivia Moldry. And um, we just uh, really appreciate you listening in today. Keep uh, up to date. We will try to um, throw out a podcast episode weekly. Um, those of you who live in the Bay Area, check our uh, Instagram and our newsletter, sign up for a newsletter. We just opened a free clinic happening on June 18th for female competitive players. Uh, also, we have a panel on mentorship coming up on May um, 18th with the Women in Soccer organization. So uh, look for us on social media. And thank you all for chiming in on here, Lou, Haley, and Taylor. And we will be back next week. Thank you, Cassie. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for just tuning in. Bye-bye.